0: The changing day when you can take an arena of people and light them up and get them to connect is the day it's not about you anymore. It's about the leadership mentality that your job is to go lead, not go survive. Hey, it's Brendan dropping in here on something special. I think the most important thing you can do in your life Well, like all learning and all breakthroughs, you have to choose first to learn, to learn from the best, to invest in yourself, to do the work, to do the daily work. You have to train with the best and that's why we created Growth Day's mastery program. Listen, we're gonna train you to make self-improvement a real way of life, to unlock your positive attitude and attributes at a whole new level, to get you way more productive and influential, to show you the life and career strategies that make you unstoppable and really work but how do we do that well every single week we bring you a new fifty thousand dollar a hundred thousand dollar keynote speaker multi-millionaire or world's foremost expert to switch your brain into high performance mode, to teach you what really works in wellness in health in mindset in productivity people who really help you unblock and move ahead with really practical strategies for changing your life, your relationships, your health, your career, your mission, your purpose. Every month, we unlock a new course that would have cost you thousands of dollars to buy from other teachers on brain health or positive psychology or confidence. Every year, we give you free tickets to an unbelievable motivational and transformational seminar. Every day, I give you an advanced life coaching audio to keep your mind sharp, energized, focused, motivated, confident, ready to serve and to lead and win and build your greatest future at the levels you dream of. And I promise you, you are capable of. Every day can truly be a growth day for you. But it takes mastery in life. And that's why we have our new program, Mastery Level in Growth Day. You can go to yearofmastery.com and it will direct you to our best program in Growth Day. This is for those who really want the advanced level, who really want a breakthrough, who are tired of, hey, listen, podcasts are great, but training is another level. Go to yearofmastery.com. You deserve to join the world's number one membership, How do you kill it in front of an arena full of people or 50 people or 500 people? How do you do a great job with your speech so that you know it's authentic and real and vibrant and fun for you and you get booked over and over and over again? How do you get that standing ovation so that they keep calling you, so that everyone's talking about you, so your social media blows up? That's our topic right here this month. It is a absolute must for you to get better as a communicator. And these ideas today, the seven ideas I'm gonna teach you are gonna really help. So with that, I'm gonna jump in to seven things you need to do to master your presentation. These are critical, these are musts, and they will change how you connect with and relate with other people. So I know you're gonna dig this. So bust out your journal. Number one thing that is really important for everything in public speaking, and it's the one thing I think most people fail at, and that number one thing is to adopt the leadership mentality. Most people go into speech and they're like, I hope I survive, and they're in survival mode. That's all they're thinking about. They're thinking about their message, maybe their story, maybe thinking about the audience, but the reality it is, and trust me, I've been on a lot of stages and I've been blessed to train with the world's greatest speaker training. Now we've been training, what, six, seven years. Some of the best speakers in the world. The truth is when you dig down deep into people's psychology on stage, most of them are just trying to get through. they are tell you, I'm gonna try to do something new. I'll try to do something different. I'll try to nail it. But the truth is psychologically, they just wanna survive because they're scared. You've got to change that mentality. The most important thing on stage presentation is to tell, can I see that you're a leader? That's it. And whatever that means authentically and true for you, but it is not a place that is shaking, it is not a place that is terrified, even if the nerves are there, even if the butterflies are in full force, flying in formation, eating your stomach from the inside out, I still need to see you as a leader. I need to see you adopt that mindset that you know before you walk out on stage, it's your moment. Listen, the best thing I can tell you, there's two guys, two gals, two different kinds of people. One person walks on stage wanting to survive, concerned about self, concerned about ego, and one walks out like Dr. Martin Luther King standing on that Washington Monument ready to go. Standing, I shouldn't say standing on the Washington Monument, standing at the Washington Mall. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? You've got to be in a place, like what's your, which one are you going to be? Are you going to shout it from the rooftops and shake the mountains and change the world? Or are you going to be, a shrinking violet in front of everybody. You're gonna make that choice one day in your life. And I'm gonna tell you the day that you make that choice, everything is going to shift. I get it that people are scared of public speaking. I get it that it can be intimidating. I understand the nerves and the anxiety that comes up. I still get that. I'm not here to tell you, go out there and be perfect. I'm here to tell you the nerves are gonna be there. The anxiety is gonna be there. But the mindset you adopt about what you're about to go and do, are you gonna go lead the troops? Are you gonna go change the world? Are you gonna go deliver awesome? Or are you gonna go apologize for yourself? Are you gonna go try to breathe through it? Are you gonna go go be concerned about yourself? And that's the game changer. And trust me, it is not an easy place to get to. Uh, you know, I, I can't tell you how many rooms of 30 people I talked to before I talked to 50, before I talked to 100, before I talked to 300, before 500, more thousand. This summer, as I'm filming this right now, I've spoken to over 30,000 people live this summer as I'm filming this right now. I got another couple thousand coming up in the next couple months. And so it's been a a very big year. And some of you saw you know, me talking to 17,000 people in an arena, 5,000 people at Caesars Palace. I mean, you've seen me on social media, hopefully doing all this nonsense. But I share with you the changing day when you can take an arena of people and light them up and get them to connect is the day it's not about you anymore. It's about the leadership mentality that your job is to go lead, not go survive. And if you keep thinking about your survival, how you feel, what you look like, did you wear the right shoes? Did your hair okay? Will they listen? Do you look your best? Is the makeup perfect? Are you getting the shot? Is your team? getting the B-roll and you're concerned about all of that and you're not concerned about leadership and what it feels like inside and to others for you to lead authentically and powerfully, get off the stage, get out of the game, leave my industry. That's it. We don't need more egoists on stage, we need more leaders. And I think you see that in our political cultures around the world right now. I think you see that in our businesses. We have so many people who are terrified to lead, but are full-on narcissists anyway. You know what I'm talking about? You gotta get over yourself and stop thinking about yourself and all these concerns. Everything we're gonna talk about in public speaking always comes back to someone saying, I'm scared, stage fright. I'm like, yeah, there's stage fright and there's leadership. Which one do you want? And once you make that change and it becomes binary and clear to you that you're being called to lead in that moment You're gonna step into that leadership mentality, into that leadership role, because look, you're on the stage. They put you on that stage to lead, not to apologize for yourself. They're not paying you to apologize for yourself. They're not paying you to feel insecure. They're paying you to lead their people. And when you take that seriously, when you really step into the role of servant leadership, you are no longer stuck in stage fright. Now you feel the responsibility and some people go, oh my God, the responsibility is just a scary brain. That causes a ton of anxiety. I'm like, good, good, let it ride. Let the anxiety be there. Go do your job. I have the anxiety all the time. I worry about it too. Trust me, when I walk out, 29,000 people in an arena. Sometimes I'm like, whoa. Okay, I feel it. The thunder of that number of people clapping, the thunder of the speakers, the terror of the lights blinding you, the smoke and the laser sometimes. I mean, sometimes don't stand over there because we're going to shoot this thing out of this thing. Uh, Okay, like I didn't get into the game for the pyrotechnics. I've got to get myself straightened away and ready to win. And the way that I do that is I get out of me. And I really connect with the fact that I'm being called to lead. They wrote me the check to lead. So please remember that. They're writing you the check to lead. They're not writing the check because you're cute, because you're authentic, because you're vulnerable. They are writing you the check to lead their people. And when you become razor clear about that, everything shifts in your approach to this game and I really want you to hear that. Because now we're in this culture where it's like, oh, just go be vulnerable and go be authentic and whatever. I'm like, no, no. If they wanted you to do that, they'd tell other people, watch her social media. She's real cute. We like her shoes. You know, oh, go look at her thing over there. If, if they just wanted your authentic vulnerable side, they'd just hire a bunch of people to go up and tell really sad, amazing, touching stories. They'd parade 30 children across the thing all carrying balloons. The point, is missed if you miss the fact that you are being brought in to lead. That's the check, my brother. That's the check, my sister. That's the check, my friend. The check is to lead their people. And soon as you adopt that, whoa, dude, you change everything. It just, I mean, it's the total shift. And I can share that with you because I didn't get that at the beginning. I mean, my first couple of years, I was so terrified because I was in myself, I was in my ego. I was thinking about how does Brendan feel and what's he gonna say about his story because his story is his life message. Then I realized it's like, okay, I can align my story and I can align myself with that moment where I'm being called the lead, but ultimately the moment is about being called the lead, not about me. You've got to understand this. It's gotta be so clear to you. You're being called the lead. You wanna be awesome on stage? Number one, adopt the leadership mindset, what does that mean for you? What does being a leader mean to you? What does a leader mean to that organization? What does a leader mean historically? If you have not yet in your life made it a study of leadership, man, you're not even playing the game yet. You might be awesome, but you're not playing the game yet. I was blessed. You know, I started studying leadership. It was my first book, some of you guys know it down here, Student Leadership Guide, my very first book, uh, in an app, in an app, you know, a book academic that was, uh, I wrote for the Student Leadership Center at the University of Montana. Then it became this big deal. And it was my first like kind of win. I self-published it first. Well, the university published it. Then I self-published it. And it became my first big deal. And to this day, it's still a huge deal. Is my master's thesis. was on leadership. And the reason I got in leadership so early in studying it was because I said I want to be one one day. And I wasn't one. And I didn't know anything about it but I wanted to be one. So if your shelf doesn't have five leadership books on it, what are you doing? I know a lot of people, have, they, they have books, they have spirituality books, you know they got personal development books, they got business books, but no leadership books? I'm like, then don't try to get on the stage. Like don't even mess around with being on stage because you forgot the point. The point is to lead. So stop making so much of your focus just learning marketing, just learning business, just learning some crafty thing, and make it a business to learn how to lead because in the paid speaking world, that's what you're paid for. So you better get good at it. My brothers and my sisters, and I'm on a roll. Here we go. Number one, make sure you adopt the leadership mentality. Now, tactically, Let's get into it, okay? Tactically now it gets fun once you know that. And when you come from, once you get in that space, everything is fun, it's messaging and performance now. So here we go. Number two, you gotta know the four C's, okay? The four C's, bust out your journal, let me explain what these four C's are. And they're one way of preparing the messaging of your speech. And I would say this is what most people forget to do Because here's what most people, when they're getting paid to speak or starting in the industry, their question is, who am I? What's my life's message? What should I share? And again, it's all about them. But when you really get good, and you know most of you guys know I'm $75,000 for a US domestic keynote. So all those things you see on social media, all those big arenas, those are $75,000 starting to get me in that room. And to get to that level, I had to learn the four Cs. Right Before, I was a good speaker, I was entertaining, I had good takeaways, I had an interesting story, but when I learned the four C's, I started getting paid. Okay, four C's. Number one, and the four C's mean, these are the things you have to know about your audience for messaging, and you have to be strategic about them. Number one, you have to know what to celebrate. Right, That's the first of the four C's. What are you there to celebrate? What message are you going to talk about? Like, how are you going to celebrate the audience? How are you going to give them credit and cheer them on for the context that they are in? Right? They're, they're in that room to learn something or to celebrate something or to go to the next level. For some reason, their company, their organization, whatever brought them together. And you need to know who and what you are going to celebrate. So what do I mean by that? First, I need to know what am I, what's the context here? Why are we all together and how can I celebrate that? How can I celebrate their continuing education and make sure I say that? How can I celebrate their theme if they have a theme, which we'll talk about? How can I celebrate specifically how far they've come into an organization? I need to know, have they been growing in this organization? What have they achieved in the last four quarters that I can celebrate? And when I say it to them, They know, oh, he's got the inside track. He knows where we've been. He knows our journey. He's celebrating it. He's like a third party coming in here, cheering us on. If you don't know your messaging of what you're going to celebrate to the audience explicitly, you're not even in the game. Second C is what are you gonna confront? This means you need to know the audience's bad behaviors. You need to know where they're screwing up, where they're screwing off, where they're not getting any results. That's again, you knowing your audience, where have they screwed up in the last four months? Where do they tend to screw up? What's the problem? Where's the laziness? Where's the lack of discipline? Where is the lack of teamwork, the lack of leadership? Like You need to know where you're gonna confront them, and that messaging needs to be a compelling part of your speech. And When, because you're a third party, you're being called to lead. You've got to confront the bad behavior and you need to know what it is. So I ask, I specifically ask before I go on, one of the things I'll ask the coordinators, the event planners, whoever hires me to bring in, I'll ask them, I'll say, what's some things your people are doing that you know they shouldn't be doing or that you hate that they do that's hurting their performance? And I'll listen. You know, they get distracted, they do this, they do that. And I'll, I'll make sure that in my speech, I specifically confront that and I call it out to them. I'll say, hey, look, I know everyone wants to go in here, but sometimes you guys are doing this and then you're doing this and you're doing this and you're doing this and you all know that's screwing you up and it's hurting the organization. You all know that's hurting, right? And I raise my hand and they all go, yeah, that hurts it. Calling that out makes you a leader when, you call out the, and this is the scariest thing to do because everyone wants to, wants to placate and cajole and just make everyone feel good. You wanna do that. But when you go to another level in speaking, you're willing to confront it. Now, you don't have to do it type A masculine or you don't have to do it with my tone here, but you gotta do it. You gotta figure out a way to call out the bad behavior. And if you give a whole presentation and you don't call out an audience's bad behavior and what's holding them back, whatever that is, is—whether it's a thought, a belief, a way they interact with other people, uh, uh, you know, a, a distraction that they have. If you don't call that out, your speech sucked. And you might even get a standing ovation. I get it. But you won't be here in 10 years. And that's hard to tell people, but I've seen I've seen so many people come in, they're 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 the big celebrity, they're the big name, they had the big Ted talk, they're seemingly awesome and everyone loves to cheer them on and then they're gone because they weren't leading. So they stopped getting rebooked and rebooked and rebooked and rebooked. If, see, one of the nice things about hiring you is you get to be a third party mouthpiece for the coordinators. So I always ask them, I say, what's something you would love to call out your people on but you can't say it or you wouldn't say it because you might appear to be a jerk. Like what, what would you love to just say to them if you could? Like just go right at that thing they're doing wrong. What would that be? Cause maybe I can say it in a different way for you. And then I'll, I'll write those things down. And so that's why leaders rebook me. Cause when I get on stage, they're like, I can't believe he said that. I wish I could say that. I can't say that cause I work here, but I can say it. You see? So you gotta know what you're gonna confront. The third of the four C's is what are you gonna challenge? And what I mean by that is specifically, what challenges are you going to issue to the audience? Right? Confronting is calling out a bad. Challenge is setting something out. Do this in 10 days, do this in 15 days. Here's a 10-day challenge, here's a 30-day challenge. Here's something I want you to do next time. This I challenge you, next time your spouse yells at you, do this, Right? that's a challenge. So set a situation or set a date or set something where you are explicit about a challenge that you're asking the whole audience to get into and agree to, right? It can be as simple as like, hey, you know, next time you hear yourself complaining, would you all agree next time you hear yourself complaining to immediately stop complaining, think of something you're grateful for and give one compliment, would you all do that? And everyone goes, yes, right? It's simple, it could be a challenge just like that, very simple. Or it can be something that you're challenging because you've agreed with the leader who brought you in to engage in a challenge. Maybe they've set their quarterly goals. Maybe they've said, we're going to do these five things in this five weeks. Whatever the challenges that the senior leaders have posed to their people, you want to champion that and add a little bit to it. Right? So if they say, these are our quarterly goals, we're all going toward it. And you can say, are you excited about that, right? And they say, yeah, it's like, okay, great. Well, here's something I challenge you to do every day and give them a daily thing to do. Like people love a daily challenge, right? You can just say, I challenge you every single morning to work out. Who, who's in that? Who would try every single morning to work out, even if it's just 15 minutes and you get a raise of a hand on that, that's a huge way to do whatever you want with the audience. Now, obviously, I'm not talking about structure here. I wanna be very clear. I'm not saying first you celebrate, and then you confront, and then you challenge. I'm talking about messaging themes. You need to know your messages behind all these four Cs. Okay, and then the fourth C, the final C, is the charge. And the charge, I don't mean my book, The Charge. I, I do, buy it, read it, own it. Uh, what I mean is the charge, as in what is the charge you're going to to the audience? What is that call to action, that thing you want everybody to do at the end of the speech? Right? That's that. If it's when you've, if you've ever seen me, um, speak, I explicitly say it. I say, Hey, listen, when you all walk out of this arena today, or when you all walk out of the, you know, the doors of your homes and organizations for the rest of your lives, I want you to, like, what is it? What's the charge you're giving? What's the call to action you're going to give at the end of the speech? you need to know your messaging for that, which we'll talk about too. So this is just helping me plan, right? I adopt the leadership mindset. Okay, I'm, I'm being called to lead these folks. I need to know where I'm going to lead them. And one way I know how I'm gonna lead them, I'm like, okay, what am I celebrating with them? What am I confronting with them? What am I challenging them on? And what's the charge I'm gonna give them? By thinking through that, my messaging gets better. Even if your story and my story are different, it doesn't matter. If I see you do a good job celebrating, confronting, challenging, and charging them up, oh man, you're a better speaker than nine out of 10 of them who might have a better story than you. See, you're comparing yourself right now, how dramatic is my story versus everybody else's story? And I'm like, oh God, it doesn't matter. Your story could be a terrible story, a stupid story, a funny story, doesn't matter. But if you don't do the four C's, your presentation's worthless to me. At least as, I'm just talking about as a person who writes the checks, Right? Just a person who checked. How many speakers I've seen get on, they tell a great story. I'm like, they're never gonna make any money. How many people, they're an amazing presenter. I'm like, they're not gonna be here in five years because they didn't do the four C's. The four C's is the critical element to your messaging that's so important. Okay, Uh, number three, themes and stars. Okay, you gotta know your themes and your stars event. Every event that you're gonna get paid to get brought into, if the event coordinator, the production team, or those in the leadership who are going to be there, there's always a theme. Especially the bigger event you go, there's a, there's, there's a theme, something there, that the, the, the leader, the facilitator, the speaker, there's a theme they're trying to create there. You need to interview them about that theme. Why did you choose this theme? Why does this organization need this theme now? What are you going to say to your audience about this theme? Are there any messages you like to me to add that you think would make this theme even better? Because if you tie into their theme, they friggin' love you. If you forget the theme, they think you're a canned speech guy. The way an event coordinator knows if you are a canned speech guy or with their audience is the four C's and the theme. If you tie into their theme and you do a great job at that, like every story you tell, you find a way to tie into the theme, or every point you teach, you tie a way to add that word of the theme or the words of the theme into that takeaway point, they friggin' love you for it. It's like, just imagine every time you mention the theme, all those event coordinators, anyone who wrote the check, all the senior leaders who put this together, they're like, they can't believe it. They're so stoked, it's like, That's checking off the bare minimum for them. They friggin' love you. And if you don't do it, you're a canned speaker, you don't get brought back because they think that you only have one speech. And I see this all the time. People rarely get brought back because the event coordinator thinks you only got one speech because you didn't do the four C's and you didn't think about the theme. So if you're a canned speech guy, they might even like you, might even get a standing ovation. They might even send you a, a testimonial but they don't rehire you because they think you only got one speech. Because if you can't tailor it to what you're doing there, they get bored with you and they worry that you won't do a good job for them next time. So tie in that theme, really make sure you nail that, put it in there, like make them feel it, include it in part of your introduction, say it two or three times throughout your speech and end with it as well. They'll love you forever. But I said, know your themes and stars. What do I mean by your stars? You, the stars mean who are the stars in the room? Who are, in other words, who are the heroes in the room to the organization? Right? You need to know a person or a couple people and their story and why in that organization, they're the heroes. They're the stars, right? They're the top performers, whatever you want to call it. And you don't need to know many of them. But if you knew two of them, you change everything. So if you ever see me speak, I always acknowledge the founders if they're in the room. I'll bring up some kind of, if I'm talking about hardship in my story, I'll also bring up the hardship of the founder and I'll point right at them, I'll celebrate them and I'll tell everybody to give them a round of applause. So I make somebody in the room a hero. I make somebody in the room acknowledged of their organization. So it's not just about you and your story, It's about you finding one or two people who you can celebrate on stage, who you can acknowledge, who you can get a round of applause for them. The audience goes bananas for that stuff. And the event coordinator will thank you forever. And they'll always say the same thing. Thank you for bringing my people in this. You really knew my organization. You knew my people. And it doesn't take you just a few minutes to find one or two people you can acknowledge or honor in that audience. It's a big deal. Don't forget. You're, you're stepping into someone's house. You need to know the members of the household. You know what I'm saying? If, if you, you and your spouse or your partner or your friend are going to somebody's barbecue, of course you say, whose barbecue is this? What do they do? What's it about? Who should I know here? Should I meet somebody here? You know, you, you're thoughtful about that, going to someone's backyard. Well, someone's writing you a check, you better know everybody that you're gonna need to meet or know or acknowledge at that party. That's knowing your themes and your stars. You can tell it's just a different way of thinking. It's why I get the checks. You know, it's why I've been doing this so long. It's because I'm super insaney maniacy maniac-y, uh, thoughtful about all this stuff because I tell you, there's nothing better than knowing you did a good job for people. Notice, please, none of this so far has anything to do with you. Leadership mentality is about servant leadership. It's about them. If you don't know anything about servant leadership, make sure you read Robert Greenleaf's work on servant leadership. So leadership mentality, the four Cs, and knowing your themes and stars. To me, that's the bare minimum in which you deserve to be on that platform. And what's amazing to me, and the reason I started with those versus starting with you, is because even though I think that's the bare, don't you think that's the bare minimum? Don't you think every speaker should think about those three things? And yet I would say, Nine out of 10 speakers I see, they haven't thought about it. They haven't asked about it. They don't know anybody in the audience. They don't tie into the theme. They're thinking about themselves, so they're nervous. They have this, you know, that they project nervousness versus leadership. Like, I'm okay if you're nervous. Don't project nervousness. I'm nervous, but I project leadership. Follow the difference? I think it's also really important that if if you don't know what you're celebrating, confronting and challenging and charging, I don't don't know why you're there. those first three points are all about your role in the audience. Hey all it's Brendan. And I wanna make sure that you go check out growthday.com. It's an all-in-one personal development platform where you can do everything you would like to do for personal development in one place. You can capture your mindset journaling, set your goals, track your habits and improve them, take wellness challenges, and learn from the highest-powered, highest-paid, most respected motivational teachers, wellness coaches, and life coaches in the world, live, every week. One trial, we just call it Starter, that's where you're just using the tools. You know, it's the Mindset Journal, where we prompt you with tons of research-backed prompts to help you become more positive, confident, self-aware, and happy. We've got your goal tracking system. That's where you set your personal development goals and reminders, so like reminders to meditate or reminders to call your partner and flirt, or you know, reminders to make sure that you do this one project. It's also got, importantly, your habit tracking system. This is where you can track your high-performance habits, which we teach you to do, and then you receive targeted scores and recommended videos to improve those. Our pro level now includes live classes. You know, we've got the best teachers in all of personal and professional development, period, in the app. These folks all charge over $50,000 for a one hour keynote, but they're live every single month in growth day, teaching for 45 minutes. Then we have what we call all access, And that's where you get the tools plus the live classes, but also over 20 deep dive, powerful life transformative courses. So these courses, these classes, these are things that would cost over $3,000 a month to access, but Growth Day Pro, as an example, is less than a buck a day. Your personal development is worth a dollar a day. Your access to these people is worth a dollar a day, but you can start free right now, when you go to growthday.com. Hey gang, it's Brendan. I'm gonna change gears real quick and talk about another show here on the Growth Day Podcast Network, Lori Harder. Her show is called Earn Your Happy. This is a monster podcast, if you've never heard of it before. Earn Your Happy is all about Lori talking with people and sharing her own journey of being an entrepreneur and trying to find happiness in life. And I love her phrase, earn your happy. You know, if you've ever heard me tell my car accident story, I felt like at that moment, I got life's golden ticket, that second chance, but I also felt like this, this feeling that I had to earn it, to earn that second chance. So when I got to know Lori, and she told me her show was called Earn Your Happy. I was like, ah, oh, it's one of my favorite words in the English language, earn. To earn the gifts we've been given, to earn the life that we want, to work for it, to strive for it. I just love it. And Lori is like, listening to her episodes, I told her the other day, I was like, it's kind of like listening to a best friend talk about you know their ambitions and what they're trying to do And she's such a great interviewer as well, by the way, that I think you're gonna get new perspectives about life. You'll laugh a lot, you'll be motivated, and you'll learn from somebody who's out there actually doing the work, building a great business and life and family. Go subscribe to Lori Harder's podcast. It's called Earn Your Happy. You can subscribe anywhere you're listening, including right now on this platform. So please go subscribe to Lori Harder's Earn Your Happy podcast. Number four is the three story rule. You need to have three great stories in any speech, like great stories. Like, and here's what a great story is. It emotionally grabs you. It either elevates them out of the chair with enthusiasm or brings out an emotion of nostalgia or tears, but you need three, great emotional stories minimum. Like for me, if you've ever seen myself, I do five. So I do five teaching points and with each teaching point, I give a great story. That's kind of my structure for my speeches. Uh, I like that because, and I make sure that it shows growth, right? It gets, I ease it in with a little struggle and then it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and stronger and stronger and stronger and more bold as a teaching point. But that's really important to me uh, personally, almost every speech I do, five takeaways and five super emotional stories that go along with it. And those stories, they can be yours or somebody in the audience's, but you want them to have that compelling emotional thing that only comes from usually like vulnerability, struggle, or beating the odds. You know, everyone loves a rags to riches story. Everyone loves a heartbreak story. Everyone loves a story of you know the ups and downs. Everyone loves a story of the dreamer, the underdog. These are big stories, which I'm sure you're fully aware of, that those all really resonate with people. And so you need to know yours. And I want you to really be able to nail them. And if you don't feel like you can tell five great stories in 45 minutes, you need to practice a lot. You need to practice a lot. You know, I can get five great stories in 30 minutes. So don't feel like story equals duration because you can get, I mean, if you know you know a good speaker, if they can knock out 10 stories in 30 minutes, you know, that's like, that's amazing. But you don't need many. I'm suggesting you need at least three. If you do 60 minutes and you don't get me three times really emotionally connected with your journey, your story, or what you're trying to get us to do, or a greater you know, story or cultural thing going on. Yeah, I'm just bored. You really gotta get them. You can be the greatest trainer in the world, but without emotion, you're really missing it. You're really missing it. And so I would love for you to identify what are the most emotional stories you have of your life? A good way to do this is to go back through the time zones of your life and really identify the real memorable things that happened to you and learn to tell that story. I mean, you might not tell all of them, but you know what? Go back to elementary school and like, crank on your memories. What happened to you? What was emotional? What was great? What was bad? And remember those and zoom in on those stories. What happened in high school or what happened in college or in your first job or when you first started the business or when you had that breakthrough? Really zoom in on some stories. I mean, go right into that. What were you thinking, feeling, believing? What was the context? Really identify the major stories of your life. Because if you don't know the major stories of your life, you're just telling the story that's easiest for you to tell. You don't, you're lacking like, your stories from the time zones of your life, those are like the basics in your toolbox as a speaker. And once you know them, like you can tell me any topic in the world I can pull a story out of my toolbox that will match that. Because I've done the hard work of just straight up good old fashioned self-reflection to identify all the stories throughout my life and what were my lessons in them. I think that's just part of both self-reflection and self-awareness, personal development, maturity, but it's also part of being great in service to others. So I really want you to think about this. What are those big stories? I mean, for, if you are a person above the age of 30, you should have 30 stories by now. Like I want, you should have 30 really great emotional stories, right? And if you can't come up with that many, go get tested for mental deterioration. You might need to see a, a you know, a, a brain guy. And I mean that with uh, a little bit of a, a plume, but I also mean it's super true. It's really, really true. You've got, 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 got to look back at your life and find those stories. And don't think they need to be these huge transformational stories that were transcendent. It can be little things like, you know, I tell a story on some stages of getting my finger slammed into, my, into a locker from a friend of mine, who came by and slammed a locker on my finger. Wasn't a big deal. I tell a story of failing a test I tell a story of my watching my dad deal with hardship. You know, They don't have to be superhuman. Sometimes the more everyday the story, the more universal, the more specific, the more real people feel it. So don't feel like it has to be this huge thing. What it has to be is emotional and meaningful to you and that has to project and they have to feel that. And there's ways to accomplish that. At Experts Academy, the day after Experts Academy, so the Monday after Experts Academy, we're staying at that same hotel and we're conducting the one day of world's greatest speaker training. And so it's me, Roger and Bo. Roger teaches, he's the world's number one vocal coach. Bo is the number one like movement and story coach. I'm kind of the, the, here's the structure, here's the messaging, here's to wow the crowd and build your business from it too. I bring that up because I do this one thing there where I teach the bounce. And the bounce is where you learn to tell your story. But as you're telling your story, you bounce back out into the audience perspective. And instead of saying, I experienced this, I saw that. You jump, you bounce into them and you say, and you saw this and you see this and you think that. So it goes from I to you. And that's called the bounce in public speaking. If you didn't know what it is make damn sure you get the world's greatest speaker training. You guys will freak out about how good that stuff is. And I'll show you how I do it. Like in my car accident story, if you've ever seen me tell that. If you've ever broken down the car accident story, I'm actually half the time talking about the audience, but they think I'm telling my car accident story. And if you watch it, it's like very artfully done with the bounce. And you have to learn that bounce to go back and forth with your story. So within each of your stories, even if you only tell three, Remember, you're bound in. You never, never, ever just tell your story. Don't go from start your story to end your story, and not bounce back to the audience in that story. Like that's what a lot of newbies do. They just go, "Well, this was my story," and they tell their story. You got to bounce into the audience and back into your story. Into the audience and back into your story with what you're saying. Okay. Number five, you have to learn to break the barrier. And what this means in public speaking is you've gotta break the physical barrier of the attendees. What does that mean? You don't wanna do a whole speech where they're just sitting like this. You gotta get the audience to move, to participate, to literally physically do something. Where that physically do something is put one hand up, put both hands up, turn to your neighbor, high five them, turn to your neighbor, hug them, turn to your neighbor, shake them. Whatever you have to do, hold up their water bottle. You must give commands to have them physically do something. Hold up your journal, grab your pen, move them. And if you do that, like you see me, I get people up doing air squats and doing Qigong, doing deep breathing, shouting things out. The more participative you do, when you break the physical barrier and you do it well, everyone's like, whoa, they can't believe it. Because so few people got the guts to do that. That's why you get brought back. You didn't just go up, deliver your canned speech and leave. You actually moved them. I mean, physically, you had them do something. People can't believe that. It takes a lot of practice. It takes some skill. See, a physical command without a teaching point is lame as hell. And that's what most people do. They saw Harvecker or NLP guys say, raise your hand. So they make it. And it was like, raise your hand. Why? There's no teaching point tied to the raising of the hand. And that's how you know a novice who really should have gone beyond NLP because NLP is nice, but it was like the eighties. I think that might help you. Break the physical barrier, but do it with artfulness. So think about what's a teaching point you can use for them to hold up something, move something, high five, hug, stand and talk, do something. Because it's so rare that someone will have the guts to do it. And those who do it literally today in this world, they're the highest paid speakers in the world because they learn to do it authentically with the teaching point in a way that serves the audience, not just to get the audience and frame the audience and command the audience. Nonsense. Okay, number six. This is, I love this one. This is an ode to Bo. Move like an animal. The worst thing you can do is stand behind a podium or the worst thing you can do is stand there with your microphone and take four steps this way once in a while, four steps that way with lack of direction, with lack of, urgency and need and vibrancy. You need to move on that stage. I This is an ode to Bo Eason because I think he's probably the world's best at moving on stage. Like he looks like a caged animal. He looks like he might jump out at any minute and eat your face. Like he's stalking that stage and you just, you feel his ferocity and his movement and his, like there's, there's it's not just charisma there. It's like chaotic a little bit. And you're like, you can't take your eyes off him because he might punch you in the face kind of thing. Now, you don't have to do it that aggressive, but you need to move. Ladies, especially uh, in our industry, it tends to take longer and they don't give themselves the permission to do it. And you've got to do it. Standing there uh, and people say, well, Brendan, you don't understand this, you know, standing in high heels or some other poor metaphor that people use and I'm like, listen, no, a great speaker moves on stage. Doesn't matter what they're wearing. And if what they're wearing prevents it from, they're gonna wear something different because you know what looks stupid is you standing there all squunched up in clothes that don't fit or shoes that don't allow you to move. You wanna be impressive, you need to move on stage, not worrying about what you're wearing. I'd rather wear, have you wear jeans and flip flops and a t-shirt and move than be in the perfect skirt that doesn't is really tight and shows off how cute you are, but doesn't allow you to move. Or shoes that compromise your ability to get from that side to this side. Like, you gotta move. It, everyone watching this, you need to make it a life goal to go from end to end on a stage. And I know it takes work. I just did a stage That was 155 feet wide. That the LED behind me was 55 feet tall and weighed 86 Honda Civics. It was one of the biggest indoor LEDs that exist today. It was enormous. And the stage was so huge. And I had, I have, you have to force yourself to work the whole stage because it's easy to stay in that spot. It's why I won't ever do a TED Talk, because that BS that you have to stand on the little red circle, I'm like, that's not, that's so forced and fake. I think that's just a disservice to the public speaking community. I think it's a disservice to TED. I think it's a disservice to every expert who's ever graced that stage, is to ask them to stand in a tiny little thing, because that's not real life. And for the record, if you haven't done an official TED Talk, most of those are not true either. They're not authentic, they're not extemporaneous, they're unbelievably, unbelievably overprepared. They're unbelievably edited. And that's why I'm against them. Um, just as a public speaker, I'm completely against it because not all, not all Ted talks because TEDx's and local TEDs aren't like this. But on the big stage, you've got to submit your speech word to word to the powers that be. They get to edit it for you, send it back, and then you work it edit it again, send it back for their approval. Then you get to get on the internet with them and you get to give your little speech to them. They give you some feedback. Then you edit it again, send it to them for approval. Then they finally approve it. And then you gotta go get that speech. That's called censorship. And Ted and the whole team there, shame on you for not thinking beyond censorship. And now I know they're all come back and this creates controversy because they would say, Brendan, Brendan, no, we're making their speeches better. No, you're censoring because you're worried about appearances. Let real speakers do real speaking. And yes, they're saying, well, but it's their moment. We want to make them shine. Yeah. But by editing their speech word for word, that's censorship. I'm, I'm totally against that. It's why I'll never accept an invitation to do it. I think it is a, I think it's the wrong way to go about it. I want to see an expert do their thing, not read a script that was approved by the powers. I don't know about you, but I think that's totalitarianism and I don't support it, even though I love TED and I love watching them and all the experts who've been on it. I appreciate you going through that rigmarole. And to all the TED experts who's told me, Brendan, that made me better going through that experience. I agree. It probably made you better too. I just don't like censorship in general as a philosophy. Okay. I'm going to get in a lot of trouble up in this house today. What are we talking about? We're talking about moving on stage. That was number six. Number seven, this is the biggest one. And this is how you get your standing ovation. So write it down. Here it is. CTA crescendo loopbacks. Big fancy words. CTA crescendo loopback. What does it mean? You need to know your call to action at the end of the speech. You need to rehearse that over and, over and over and over and over. But here's two elements you need to do during that call to action at the end of the speech if you want to tear the place apart and really make them go crazy. At the end, You do two things with the call to action. First, you make sure you crescendo. Those last few moments for you, it should be a spiritual lift. It should be an emotional, vocal, physical liftoff. Like you want that to end because if you do that, if you achieve liftoff, they stand up and they cheer, right? And you gotta find the way for you. So I'm not trying to notice, I didn't give anyone here an exact, you know, structure. That wasn't my goal with the speech or with this training here, but what I'm trying to do is give you some concepts that will help you be better. And the crescendo loop back is a way to do your call to action. First you crescendo with volume, pitch, melody, movement, in whatever way that is appropriate for you. Crescendo doesn't have to be allowed in a big bang, but it has to feel like this closure and this moment is happening. Even if it's silent, quiet, and honoring, that's okay too. So don't think crescendo means it necessarily has to be louder, but it has to be a crescendo experience. Okay? It has to feel like this is, there. like there gotta be a moment at the end, right? You gotta think about that. And that last two or three minutes, you need to know your moment and you're going for that moment full-heartedly. And that really gets them, okay? That really gets them. Um, so here's another one on part of this, the CTA crescendo loopbacks. So remember, know your call to action, crescendo it, but then if you really want to drive them crazy, do the loopback. Uh, the loopback is, have you ever seen a great comedian? Uh, comedians are famous for doing the loopback at the end. They told a great, funny, 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 funny joke in the middle of their speech, or in the middle of their comedy hour, I should say, and at the end of the comedy hour, they kind of end on the same joke, but they tied another joke, to that previous joke and they end on that. That's called a loop back, right? So they introduced it over here and at the end they brought it back in. That's what great comedians do. They bring back in a former joke they told and tie it to the last joke. That's a loop back. So that's what I want you to do as a speaker. Try it, it's super powerful. Let me give you an example of mine. Mine's not funny, mine's really dramatic. Most of y'all, I hope by now you've heard or seen me talk about my car accident, okay? There was a moment when I was on the hood of this car, you know, after sort of my live, love, matter experience, where I felt very blessed to be alive. And I felt myself, you know, saying to God that I wanted to earn this. And I wanted to earn this blessing of being alive. I wanted to earn this breath. I wanted to earn the second chance I felt like I just received. Because I felt like everything somehow. I went from this place of total fear in the accident to knowing I was gonna be okay. And I wanted to um, earn that earn that gift. And so there's a moment in my speech where I am in this moment again in the car accident and I'm talking about how I wanted to earn this. And I use this particular gesture and I say earn this in a specific way, okay? It's a really powerful moment you know, probably in the first 25% of my speech. Well, at the end of the speech now, I change it, but I do a loop back. Very end of the speech, now it's a different energy, a different power, now the earning is for them, but I tell them to go, I I talk about the opportunity of why we're all here and about their responsibility and their ability to lead and the opportunity to make a difference in the world, and I tell them to go earn the opportunity. Go out these doors today. Go out the doors of your homes and organizations for the rest of your life, guys, and go earn this. But I say it with a huge boom, right? Big power, it's for them. I tell them to go earn it. I earned it earlier. At the end, they go earn it. And it's a loop back. And it's super, like, as soon as I do it, boom. And it brings back that previous moment, so it's heavy. So I've crescendo, and then boom, earn this. And the way I say it and the way I hold myself, there's this strength behind it. It's a call to action and I hold it. One, two, three, four. Thank you guys for having me here. And the place just oh, Jesus. And then you're out of their mind. And it's a standing ovation every single time. If you do a loop back on the top of a crescendo, watch out universe. Those are my favorite seven tips for having a great speech. I hope that you guys enjoyed this. Okay. Camila D'Souza, what's the point with the high vibe music and jumping that I heard you do in your live events? Should everybody include those in their events? Uh, I'm sorry, Camila, um, what's the point with the high vibe music and jumping? <laughs> I like it, that's all. That's the point. Camila, I do four day events and you cannot hold an audience for four days without energy. And one of the easiest ways to get a broad, diverse group of people from all around the world into energy is dancing. And it sounds crazy, but if they'll dance together, they'll celebrate together, they'll learn together, it'll break a barrier between them. And now they're more willing to share, right? It's more relaxed. They connect faster. I bet some point in your life, Maybe you were at a. Maybe some of you guys went dancing. You went to a bar. You went dancing. You went to a club. You went dancing, and you could meet a person and you could dance with them. And if you dance with them without even exchanging a ton of words, you can have that connection. And then, like 20 minutes later, you're having sex. And I mean, you know, just you never know. It's just there's something that breaks the bonds a little faster when people dance and celebrate. I do it because I enjoy that. I like that high energy. I like that dance. You don't have to do it, but if you're doing a four-day event. You'd better figure out a way to get people moving and celebrating several times throughout each day or they're bored, right? Or they're bored. You can pull it off without doing it, but then you're just another conference, you know? When you get people to really engage in a different energetic state, when you elevate how they think and perceive and move, their breakthroughs happen more. And so that's the point of mine, Camilla? That's a really great question. Should everybody include those in their events? Not until they learn how to do it. Once you learn how to do it, you have a little mentorship, have a little training, then like do it. The first time it's not gonna be as good as you want. The second, third, fourth, fifth time, it gets better and better and better. You understand how to handle that energy of an audience. You learn how to ask for authentically. It's not forced. Uh, It doesn't work when it seems forced but when it's just a true expression of joy, it happens. Great question, David Fox, what's the best way to find speaking engagements? A couple of different ideas. Number one, don't hope to find them, target the organizations you want to speak to, period. Don't go looking or hoping, who do you want to speak to? What organizations and why? Identify who you want to speak to, then go to their websites, download their 10Ks, their annual reports. That, that means if they're a public company, they release those things every year. Their annual report tells you what they're interested in. Their 10Ks give you a little bit about their investors and how they think about their business. Download that, absorb all that. Download their last 20 public releases, their last press releases. Download all that so you know exactly what they are interested in a company, what they are working on, what's going on. Then ask, well, how can you add value to all those things they say are important, or to something that they say is important, something in their strategic initiative, something they're really working on is organization. Identify the person who pulls off their conferences or does their training, whether it's an organizational development person, a human resource person, somebody whose real role is their live events. Find that contact. Uh, Hoovers is a great place to find contacts. LinkedIn is a great place to find contacts. Reach out to them and say, I see you're working on these things and use the language from their annual reports, their 10Ks, or press releases, and then say, I would love to add some value in this area. I have this book, this resource, this tool, this blog post. Have a look at it. And if you ever need a speaker at this upcoming event or what you're doing, please keep me in mind. That's letter number one. In World's Great Speaker Training, We call this the campaign cannon. It's letters, it's a series of letters and emails, adds value towards those things and keeps asking for the engagement. Michelle Anderson, what are your favorite techniques for energizing and engaging the audience? I wouldn't call it a technique. I would call it a teaching point. Instead of saying, what's the technique to get them to do something? Instead ask, what's a training point or a story that I can then use to have them do something. So could you tell a story about how two people interacted and you have them interact? Could you tell a teaching point about how to move their body and then you have them do it, right? So don't use technique, use the teaching point or the story and then say, how do I physicalize that story or that teaching point? And that way it becomes seamless and it doesn't seem, like my audience never goes, well, this is a technique. It's always woven right in to the stories and the teaching points. And that's how it doesn't feel forced. And that's how you get the best energy out of that. Uh, Jose, Luis, I work as a communication consultant. Awesome, for international companies, awesome. And the biggest audience I've had is 30 people. How do you jump from there to 100, 200, and 1,000? What I would do, Jose, is one, make it a goal. It's gotta be a goal. You got to say, I want to, like, it, you got to manifest that man. So you got to go, okay, I want 200, I want 300, I want 500, I want 600. And you got to set that intention first. And then you got to go start targeting organizations or events that give you the opportunity to move up to that level. And you got to ratchet it up, right? Don't, don't try to go from, you know, 50 people to 10,000. You got it right. You jump from there to 100 to 200 and you start identifying the organizations you wanna talk to and you start approaching them or pitching them and you begin from there and you accept that gig that's 100 or 200. And here's the thing, many of those, don't be shy on doing some of those for free. Like if you're just starting and you're like, man, I really wanna get a 300 person audience and you know there's a 300 person audience coming up, ask that promoter, say, hey, I'll come and add some value for free can I, can I do a 30 minutes for you for free on this topic? Seems like it's interesting to you guys. You need it and it's part of your strategic priorities. Seek to add value and ask to get on that stage even if it's for free when you're getting going to get more of that experience, to get that picture, to get that footage so that you have that to show to other people. And then you'll get more and more booked. I think that's a big way to do it. You target, go for the, always try to get paid but if you can't get paid, take the opportunity to speak anyway to that bigger organization. Also, of every time you're talking to 30 people, Jose, and all of you guys, anytime you're talking to any audience, ask them. Ask the whole audience. Say, if if you all enjoy this and you know someone who needs this message, would you please approach me afterwards in the book signing? Or would you please approach me and get a picture with me? I'd love to hear. I'm always trying to share this message with more and more people. I'm sure you guys know someone who needs this. Just let me know. Like, don't be shy of saying that even to your 30, your 100 to 200. I remember said I said that one time, an audience to 400 and somebody came up and basically unlocked the door for me to go and talk to 7,000 people a couple months later. So don't be shy of asking for that too. Until next time, go out there, live fully, love openly and share your difference because that's what makes you matter. Hey, are you on my text list? Did you know if you're in the West, you can text me